As mentioned before, the book of Acts contains uh, a quote from Jesus, a quote that's not found in the Gospels, and it's quite simple and it's very profound. It says this, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And what we're going to see today in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is, is the reasons why it is more blessed to give than to receive. And those of you who are generous with your resources know that to be true. Those of you who are not may question that. And I think as we look today at the graces of giving, we're going to be reminded of just the, just the, the blessing, the blessing of being generous with our resources in terms of using them to, to help others and to furner, furnish the, uh, the further the ministry. Uh, again, we uh, kind of give you a little bit of context in case you haven't been with us on these Sundays as we've been uh, venturing through 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul has been writing to the troubled church of Corinth. That troubled church has uh, repented, and Titus has come to give... Uh, Paul, the good news that they are going to repent. So Paul is now using the opportunity to address these repentant uh, brothers and sisters, these who are no longer cold towards the Apostle Paul, to remind them to keep their promise to take up a collection for the church in Jerusalem to be able to help those who were impoverished there. So he's, uh, he has sent three envoys, as we looked last week, to go and, and uh, help them to be able to take that collection here. And what we're going to see as we go over the entire chapter 9 today is, uh, is just the graces of giving. There's the, the, the word graced or gracious is mentioned eight different times in these two chapters when it comes to Christian generosity. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would uh, convict us, encourage us, bless us as we look at this principle that's so very important to him of, uh, of us being generous with our resources. Father, we do come to you in prayer. And, and Lord, it's always difficult, uh, at least it's difficult for me to talk about money uh, because there are people here who've been uh, seen churches abuse money. And preachers just seem to be consumed with money. And yet, it is a very clear principle in Scripture that we are to give and to give generously. And as a result of that, we will be blessed. I pray, God, that you would help us to take home the truths that would transform our lives, God. And Lord, help us to be generous and gracious to others uh, not just in giving, but in hospitality and the sharing of resources in love and everything else that we need to be. We need each other. And I pray, God, that you would help us just to be compelled by the movement of the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit's Word of God uh, and on our hearts to do those things that are good and fitting and that build up the body of Christ. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we are going to look at all of chapter 9 today. That might seem a little long, but we're going to feed you afterwards. That'll help uh, a little bit. Uh, and, but we're going to, if you might find your home group help insert to be a, of some assistance here to kind of know where we're going to go with this. Uh, but as we look at chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, we're going to see the arrangements for giving that Paul mentions in verses 1 through 5. The absolutes of giving or the doctrine of giving in verses 6 through 7. And the advantages of giving through uh, 8 through uh, 15. Uh, so first of all, we look here at the arrangements for giving in verses 1 through 5. 
uh, God says, Paul writes, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, not to speak of you, but will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So he goes and he starts off with four here, so he's connecting with what he has previously said, of course, in the, all of 2 Corinthians, but in particular in chapter 8 here. And he says that it's superfluous. In other words, it's redundant or necessary. Paul is so interesting. As, as much trouble as the Corinthian church caused him, he just has this boy-like confidence in them. He just knows they're going to end up doing the right thing. No matter how many times they failed, he knows they're going to do the right thing. You know, God's kind of that way with us, isn't he? And he's just cheerful about this. He says, listen, I don't even need to mention this, but I'm going to mention it anyway. I know it's unnecessary and all this because I'm confident that you're going to do the right thing. Again, what is the right thing? If you haven't been tracking with this, we could go back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, and Paul addresses the importance of this gift that he is trying to get them to gather their funds together to, to make part of. Uh, and he says this, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so do also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whoever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me, you also will uh, go with me. Or to you also, they, uh, they will go with me. So again, the Corinthian church is a very wealthy church. It's sort of a nouveau riche church. There's a lot of, it's a port city. There's a lot of prosperity there. There's a lot of new money. Uh, and as opposed to so many of the churches, including the churches of Macedonia, the church of Jerusalem that were very poor, they really had a lot of resources. But, you know, it's one of these interesting things is sometimes the poor people are more generous than the richer people. And the Apostle Paul kind of knows that, and he's trying to remind them of how important this, uh, this is. So he says, I know your readiness, which I boast about you, the Macedonians. So in the churches of Macedonia, which would be Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, uh, as they're collect, making the collection up in the Macedonian churches, those were actually very poor churches. Again, they had been uh, uh, conquered by the Romans and subdued. Macedonia was where uh, uh, Alexander the Great came from. Uh, they were really, really struggling, and yet they were zealous in giving. And Paul was using the Corinthians as an example to spur on their giving. And, uh, and you see this, uh, this principle of what the Macedonians were going through. Remember, you remember we went through this in uh, chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. Four, he reminds the Corinthians of how much the Macedonians struggled to give. And in their great ordeal of affliction and their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify 
that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. So Paul wasn't begging the Macedonians to be generous. The Macedonians were begging Paul to take these funds to go help the church in Jerusalem. So here's, some, here's the situation. Paul's going to be bringing some of these Macedonians down to Corinth to come collect this, these funds, and he didn't want to be embarrassed. Because the, one of the reasons why the Macedonians were given is they were so encouraged by the Corinthians uh, given there. Uh, Corinth being, of course, the capital of Achaia here. So he doesn't want his boasting to be made empty. He doesn't want to be ashamed of the fact that he's been bragging on the Corinthians. And, and rightly so. Rightly so. You think about all the effort it took to travel there. They've all come together. They're going to give together this gift. You show up, and the Corinthians are like, hmm, donation, donation. Uh, sounds familiar. You know, he just wanted to avoid that if he could. Paul's a good planner. He's thinking ahead. He's, he's being, uh, making sure that this thing is arranged previously here. But you see this principle of, of, of grace and blessing all throughout this here particular passage here. This word gift can actually literally means blessing as well. So that this, uh, this text could so, say, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go on ahead and arrange the deliverance for the blessing you have promised so that it may be ready in a willing blessing. And that's what it is. When you give generously, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. So that helps. That should help you when, you when you make a donation, when you're helping somebody else, that you are actually imparting a blessing upon somebody else. There's a spiritual quality to material wealth when it's shared. And it's really important to keep that in mind. Otherwise, you could start going down the spirit of covetousness, which he warns us about. And we'll look more about the spiritual blessing as we go further on into the, into the passage here. But he says here, he's, he says he wants you to do this blessing, but he wants us, and there's a warning here, to not be affected by covetousness. You know, that, that, that desire, that greedy, grasping kind of tendency that we, we all have, he's kind of warning them against that. And you, here's Corinth. Corinth was probably the most immoral city in the entire Roman world. I mean, they, they made an art form of coveting. We've got to have more. We've got to have it now. You know, that sort of principle here. And basically, if you, you imagine, I think he's probably imagining some of the weaker people there within the church. They make up this collection, and there's they're, they're all this gold, perhaps, and maybe some jewelry, maybe some Roman coinage, whatever it might be. They're all looking at this, and then the, uh, Paul's on his way to come collect that, to take it to the, the people in, in Jerusalem that are struggling. And they might start thinking, you know, we could really use that that money in our church. Our church brought, bought eight high chairs two weeks ago. Eight high chairs. We got them from Ikea, so I think they were like not too expensive, but eight high chairs. I mean, there's always, churches always need more, more money or more things, especially if you're, you're growing here. And, and they may be sitting there thinking, boy, that, that money sure would buy a bunch of high chairs, you know? Uh, and and the, Paul's kind of concerned about that. They might start going back on their promises a little bit here. So he kind of warns about the sin of covetousness, you know, which, is, of course, is the, the last of the great commandments. If you think you've nailed all the rest of the, the first nine commandments, hadn't murdered anybody, hadn't committed adultery, love God, go to church on Sunday, do not covet. Bang! 
And it was actually, it was actually Paul's probably big, biggest weakness as well. He coveted praise. He coveted power. And he was willing to kill Christians to get it. So this is a, a sin that's near and dear to his heart. He's not speaking about something he doesn't understand. But it's a principle throughout Holy Scripture. The Puritan William Secker says this, uh, He is a covetous man who gives out nothing willingly. I just keep thinking of Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Ebenezer Scrooge was a covetous man. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, but he will either hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And money is a cruel God. Luke 12, 15, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, every form of greed. Hebrews 13, 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Matthew 6, 19 through 20, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where threes break into steel, but trust up, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy, or where thieves do not break into steel. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Isn't that true? Storing treasures in heaven, that's kind of a cool thought, isn't it? John Trapp, the Puritan, says, Covetous men, though they have enough to sink them, yet they, they never have enough to satisfy them. I'll be honest with you, just from a personal testimony, I don't trust myself not to give. I don't trust myself not to tithe. I, I don't trust what that might do to me. Uh, uh, again, tithing, giving, being generous is a check on your greed. It, but it's interesting, the poor Macedonians gave freely, right? And Paul is having to spend two, two chapters in this letter to convince the rich Corinthians to do the same. So sometimes it takes some, some convincing on our part. Now we see the absolutes in giving, verses 6 through 7, which is a great source of encouragement. But I say this to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now notice he says, you must do what you're convinced of doing in your heart. And this is why we're very careful not to define what tithing is, not define what you should be giving, because that's really between you and the Lord. Uh, and you ought to tr default towards generosity, but we don't know what your income is, we don't know what your, what your situation is, but their principle here is, is very, very sound that if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You know, Paul's just using a basic agrarian illustration even us suburbanites can understand. You know, you, throw, you put a little bit of seed out, you're going to get a little bit of crop. You put a lot of seed out, you're going to get a lot of crop. And that's basically all he means. So those who who pour out blessing, here's that, this idea of bountiful, is bless, that word blessing again, those who pour out blessing are going to reap blessings. That's literally kind of what the Greek, you could interpret it that way. You bless and you will reap blessing. That is such a source of encouragement because those checks are really hard to write sometimes, aren't they? It's really hard to give sometimes. Yeah, the end of the month just keeps coming. And the government certainly wants its share in a couple of weeks, right? 
it can be very, very difficult at times. So basically, here's, there's a principle of reward that we find throughout Holy Scripture that the, the generous person God is generous towards. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. What a great illustration that is. Proverbs eleven twenty five: The generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 19, 17, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. You're lending to the Lord. Of course, the most famous verse about tithing, uh, probably Malachi 3.10, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open your windows to heaven and pour out blessings until it overflows. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, this isn't an investment strategy or whatever. Again, it's not a... Uh, it, these are, these, most of this is wisdom literature. The principle here, so again, you've got to be careful. There's a tendency for us to kind of grab hold of this and say, you better do it this way or else you're a sinner. There's a principle here. God's entrusting you to show grace towards others as he has shown you grace, right? But each one must do it as he has purposed in his heart. So don't be duplicitous. You've got, if you've decided you're going to do something, you keep your word even when it hurts, and while nobody else may know how much it hurts, God does, and he will bless you. But not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Aren't you glad Paul added that part? I mean, it's almost like this is inspired, you know? Uh, Paul's probably uh, referring there to Deuteronomy 15. You shall generously give to him, the poor man, and your, uh, your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because of this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings, okay? You know, I, I love this principle. You know, we at Christ Reformed Church, we like a good sense of humor, right? It's so, seldom ever demonstrated uh, in the pulpit of this church. Uh, I'm glad Will Smith's not a member. Uh, but we, but in general, we like to laugh. We like, we mostly like to laugh at ourselves. You know, I mean, we we kind of try not to take ourselves too seriously. Try to take God very seriously. Try not to take God too seriously. I mean, we, you know what I mean. Ourselves too seriously. I just committed blasphemy. <laughs> which was not funny. Um, we try to take God seriously, not ourselves too seriously. But I love this principle here. God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is hilarious, where we get the idea of hilarious. God loves hilarious giving. I mean, it's almost like we ought to be just giving, putting the money in the plate, doing the takes to give, whatever it might be, and just laughing about it the whole time. There's a cheerfulness there. It actually, in a sense, because of that generosity, it's taking away the burdens and the anxieties because you're acting in faith, and, and faith always, always blesses God. And without faith, it's impossible, impossible uh, to please God. 
Maximus of Turin kind of made a comparison here. Again, this is very sensitive, the fact that tax time is coming up. That's twice I've mentioned that to you, and I'm so sorry. Uh, but he, he makes a comparison here between the difference between giving to God, giving to the church, and giving to uh, the government. Joyful and cheerful, then, is the one who attends to the poor. Quite clearly, he is joyful because of the few small coins he acquires heavenly treasure for himself. On the contrary, the person who pays taxes is always sad and dejected. This guy was, must have been an American. Uh, rightly, uh, he, it is, he is sad who is not drawn to payment by love or forced by fear. Christ's debtor then is joyful and Caesar's sad because love urges the one to payment and the punishment constrains the other. The one is invited by rewards, the other was compelled by penalties. It's so true. But if you get those things kind of mixed up and you start seeing it as Christian charity is a burden, you're going to see it like you see a tax. And God would not have you have that attitude. So basically, you need to be a hilarious giver and enjoy it. It is a step of faith every time you trust the Lord uh, with uh, resources. Then we see here the advantages of giving in verses 8 through 15. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he who scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and food for the supply and multiplying your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your, soul, of your righteousness, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which uh, through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to, this, to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Again, so basically God is able to make all grace abound to you. That idea is able means he's got the power to do that. God is going to create within you with his great power grace, and that grace is going to abound with you. Reminds me of Ephesians 3.20. For now to him who is able to do uh, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. So again, this that principle, you can't outgive God, right? So that always have an all-sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work, okay? You will never be too poor to show charity. You know, back in the day when I was in seminary and I was, uh, I, I was working as the financial aid director, literally making a lot less than the secretaries that I used to hire back in the industry, uh, and with, with huge amounts of responsibility. One of the nice things is we were broke, but everybody else we worked with was broke. And I'm just saying, you just saw amazing charity in that environment. People knew they needed each other. 
and they were giving cars to people and giving food to people and helping people out to meet the rent and things like that. They're really, in some way, I don't miss those days. You know, my joke is that we learned to eat Blue Jay during those days, um, and Nancy didn't think that was funny at all. Uh, but, but that wasn't too far of a stretch. But there was an excitement. There was living on the edge when you're just trusting God day to day to day. Man, the people of God in the wilderness went out, and if the manna wasn't there, they were hungry. But the manna was always there. The manna was always there. So it's this always all this sufficiency here. And, and uh, uh, he basically, says, as he says in Philippians 4, 19, my God will supply your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We, I really, I mean, I grew up, I learned to swim at the country club. My father was a business owner. We didn't lack for things when we grow up. I know my parents struggled, all parents do, but we didn't lack for things. So those five years of being at the poverty level really were good, healthy, spiritual years where I learned to rely on God. And we tend to do everything we can to avoid anything like that. And yet the lessons that are learned, the faith that's learned, are gold not always. They really are. We all fear a Great Depression, right? We kind, of, we kind of have this tendency that it's coming. You know, we worry about the, the, the government spending is just crazy. The inflation's crazy. The connection with oil, all these kind of things. But I would submit to you, boy, I hope, y'all, none, of this, none of y'all play this back if you find me living in a box in a, in a park somewhere. But I would submit to you that could be one of the best things that happened to the church in America. Because we have made a God of material things. And there's wonderful joy in in depending upon God day to day in so many ways. He uses here, he quotes Psalm uh, 112, he scattered abroad and gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He also quotes Psalm 55, a part of it, where he talks about the sower bread, this was our uh, our call to worship here, that he's the one who gives seed to the sower, and then the the sower puts that seed in the ground, and then he gives bread to the eater, and he gives us the resources so that we can give them to other people. He also makes an allusion to Hosea 10, 12 here. Sow with the view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. The Lord will bless you. Now, I have to do, I have to do a little bit of a, I have to address one issue in our culture because there, there is a heresy out there uh, that's part of the, uh, uh, what they call, it's the prosperity theology word faith movement out there. And you see these guys on TV, and we've mentioned them before. But they take these principles that God will bless the blesser, and they turn them into a principle where if you just believe that God's going to make you wealthy, and by the way, God is obligated to make you wealthy, if you just believe and you speak that truth that I'm going to be wealthy and I'm going to have a house and I'm going to have a boat and whatever else you want, uh, then God's obligated to do that and that it will come true. And it's amazing the millions of people who follow that heresy. And it's just ear-tickling to the extreme. But you know what I've noticed? The people that are getting really wealthy in those churches are the pastors. 
not the poor people. And the sad thing is that's now being exported, another American export with all the cults that we've exported, that's being exported to Africa. And now they think God is obliged to make them wealthy. Y'all, there's a lot of times there's a principle of righteousness here. And we keep thinking, God, I'll be more righteous. You know, if you just make me wealthy, I'm going to be the righteous, most righteous, wealthy person that uh, you've ever seen, you know? Uh, you know, just like the example of all those people who won the lottery. How wonderful. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you ever followed the lives of the people who won the lottery? They're a train wreck, by and large. So don't take these principles and, of wisdom and turn them into a thus saith the Lord. God is not obligated to make you wealthy if you give. Because there may be something better in mind for you. You know, a lot of times we'll start doing this inventory where we've been praying for something, God says no, God says no, and we start keeping God. You said no to this, you said no to this. What about this prayer thing? What about this prayer thing? What's going on, on there? Wouldn't you give almost everything you have to be a man who's just known for self-control? and not losing his temper, and to be a person who just loves as completely as a person loves, that often help comes with trials and tribulations in your life. God's got a long-time view on sanctification, on your character, and he wants to make a better worshiper out of you. And sometimes he does that by saying no to your prayers for wealth. That's sort of left out during that prosperity theology stuff. Sort of left out. But it's true. And it's something for us to consider. We look at these promises. We embrace these promises. We enjoy the blessings that come with blessing others. But we don't fault God if he's chosen not to make us wealthy and to make us even struggle financially. Because that's all part of his plan to make us more and more into the image of son of his son. And I guarantee you this, when you get to heaven and you look back at that plan, you're going to say, praise God he didn't answer those prayers. You just got to trust in the goodness of God. You got to believe that he's going to do the right thing. So basically, you know, we, I want to kind of sum up these advantages here. First of all, verse 8 um, <clears throat> There's a sufficiency and abundance. You're going to have all sufficiency of everything here. Uh, our friend Joe Weatherly, who was doing some consulting with our church, uh, made a, a statement that, uh, that I've remind, been reminded of several times, that the money always follows the ministry. You know, a lot of times we think we can't do this because we don't have the money for this, we can't do that. But he says, basically, you step out in faith with a ministry, the money to pay for that will follow. There's an enduring eternal reward, verse 9, his righteousness endures forever. There's a harvest of righteousness. The prosperity theologians, they, ne- they, 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 they offer material wealth and comforts as the result of your faith. God says, no, I'm going to give you a harvest of righteousness, which is much, much better. Much, much better. Do you, if you are truly a content person, it doesn't matter the car you drive. It doesn't matter the clothes you wear. It doesn't matter the house you live in. It doesn't matter the person you have a relationship with because you've got the contentment inside of you and your circumstances are kind of irrelevant in a lot of ways. Isn't that much better? Because you take that with you wherever you go. There's an enrichment here. You will be enriched in everything and all liberality. It produces thanksgiving. It's producing thanksgiving to God when we're generous. 
It glorifies God. They will, uh, verse 13, they will glorify God with your obedience. This is uh, talking about Jerusalem church. And then prayer, and they will also pray on your behalf. So it's interesting. Here they are. They're collecting all this money, and Paul, and, we, and he actually does this. He brings all this money together, goes to Jerusalem, and presents all these funds and, uh, and, and basically, he says uh, here in verse 14, they will yearn for you because of the surpassing greatness of God in you. you know, this is what he was going for. The Jews, the, the, even the Jews that had become Christian, were very concerned about the gospel going to the Gentiles. Mostly you are probably Gentile. And it, when Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles, it was kind of scandalous. Wait a minute. Oh, yuck, the Holy Spirit got on those Gentiles also? Wait a minute, there's something radical going on here. But it was very difficult. To, when you were raised with that kind of racial prejudice, it's very difficult to break that. So Paul's scheme here, and it's a brilliant idea, is they are going to show this lavish giving from the Gentiles to the Jewish church. And he says what's going to happen is they're going to yearn for you. That money came from Corinth? That's the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean world. That's What good could come out of Corinth? The Holy Spirit. He has been saving hundreds of Greeks. And they want to share this with you because they're grateful for the, the privilege of the, of the heritage that you gave to them through, through the gospel, through the Old Testament. So he, he just wants to emphasize this constant blessing. And, and the principle here is these Greeks are giving to people who cannot give back to them. It's not a loan. It's a gift. A bunch of y'all have, when we got casseroles and cakes back in the back and everything, uh, y'all are going to feed these college students. And let me tell you, these college students can eat. Uh, and they can't, they can't give back. They can't, they're not going to knock on your door on Tuesday night, just wanted to give you some spaghetti because the spaghetti you gave me on Sunday, uh, if they did, I don't know that I'd take it. But uh, they can't give back. And every Sunday, there's just tons of folks in our church that are giving to college students who really, they don't have a kitchen. They don't have the resources, you know, to do that. And I just think the Lord's blessing our church because of that, because you are selflessly giving to people who can't give back. That's a principle that you have right here with these Greeks giving back to those uh, who can't give back. And he closes here with this idea of the thanks be to God for this, his indescribable gift. You know that word indescribable is nowhere in Greek literature. Paul made up the word. He's so overwhelmed by, the, by how just amazing God is, he came up with this Greek word that's nowhere else. He just kind of made up the word. Well, I do that, I get in trouble. But Paul got away with it because it's inspired scripture here. And it goes back to that principle in Romans 8, 32, doesn't it? He who did not spare his own son, but delivers him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You just can't outgive God. Give it a shot. <laughs> But you just can't outgive God. So what happens here? Basically, Paul, the Corinthians agree. He moves to Corinth. He spends three months there. And you know what he does while he's in Corinth for three months? He writes the book of Romans. 
Aren't you glad Paul stayed in Corinth for three months and wrote the book of Romans? And to the Romans, he says, talking about this collection, I am now going to Jerusalem, serving the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, Corinth, Greece, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared of their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in material ways. It worked. It worked. Paul's kind of an idealist. He's a little bit of a dreamer here. But they, they actually pulled this thing together. They read the letter. They contributed. And now he's telling them, the Romans just how generous everybody is. I love what Hughes says. God's grace is sufficient for every good work he calls us to do. The challenge for us is not our wealth or lack of it, but belief and obedience there will always be enough to be generous. Uh, our own Macaria Sanders had her uh, recital yesterday, and she was kind of giving thanks to various people in the audience, and uh, she was thanking her siblings. And she made this just amazing Macariaism statement. She said, she said, I am so grateful to have been allowed by God to be on the front row of your life. To be on the front. I thought about that. I wish I'd come up with that, uh, to be on the front row of your life. God allows the generous giver to be on the front row of his program for planet Earth. And that is exactly where you want to be. Embrace the grace of generosity, and it'll be an amazing show that you'll see. Father, we do look to you in faith, and we bless you, God, for... Uh, for the encouragement, uh, and uh, Lord, if we if we were generous with my, our money as much as we are worried about our money, the world could be radically changed. Help us to have a tender conscience and tender heart towards others, and let us show faith in you by giving generously of what you have given us. We pray this in Christ.